as we come to reflect on what we've just heard in the gospel, let's ask God to help us. Our true and living God, we pray now that you would grant us in your mercy the great good of understanding the gospel, of believing it, and knowing what the gospel brings, relationship with you as our Father, forgiveness and eternal life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. It is finished. Uh, There are many in our society who could only see that as a cry of despair. Life is finished and beyond this life there is nothing. That's the unspoken belief that lies behind the reaction of many to COVID-19, behind the fear and the panic we see. This life is all there is and at death you cease to be and so you do whatever it takes to stay alive for there is nothing else and you fear and revile anyone who doesn't do everything you think they should do to protect your life. And so the great moral imperative is to hold on to this life and all duties and freedoms can be sacrificed for that cause. On this view, Jesus on the cross, having rolled the dice on taking on the establishment and lost, is now reckoning with the loss, the waste, the giving up of what he can never get back. He is declaring in pain the mournful end of his campaign for change, declaring an end without hope. And the verdict of many is that no matter how noble the ideals he promoted, He is the loser, a dangerous loser, if he teaches people to squander life on lost causes or give it up for others. But of course that is not how Jesus saw it. For a start, he didn't share the modern materialist worldview. Read the Gospel and you'll see he believed not just in the visible but in an invisible reality. He spoke of heaven and above from which he'd come and to which he would return, of spirits and angels. He spoke not just of the present, but of eternity. Eternal life was what he promised to those who believed in him. And he believed in personal continuity after death. He spoke of a resurrection of all, and of a judgment, and of continuing after death in either life or death, a death which was not extinction, but a sphere of regret and anguish, of darkness and pain. For him, this life was not all there is. And throughout his ministry, Jesus spoke of his life as having a purpose, a purpose which, strange as it sounds, culminates in his death on the cross. He said repeatedly that he had come to do his Father's will. So John 5 verse 30 I can do nothing on my own, he says, as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Or John 6, 38, I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus knew he had come to do his father's will, and he said that the father, amongst the many works he did, had given him a work, a particular work to do. In John 4, he said to the disciples, my food is to do the will of him who sent me 
and to accomplish his work. That work, he said, would climax in what he called his hour. He was conscious of this time from the very beginning of his ministry. At Cana in John 2, he had said to Mary, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Then in conflict with the Jews in John 7 and 8, as they sought and failed to seize him, we were reminded in the gospel that this was because his hour had not yet come. But when he entered Jerusalem, for the final time he had said, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. His time had come, the time to fulfil, to complete the work the Father had given him. And the content of that hour was to be lifted up on the cross, to drain, as he said, when arrested in chapter 18, verse 11, the cup the Father had given him to drink. When he spoke in John 12 of that hour, he had gone on to speak of his death, reading from John 12, verse 23. The hour has come, he said, for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Later in that same conversation, he went on to say, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then it says a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. Oh, the crowd thought that it had thundered and others said an angel has spoken to him. But Jesus said, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And John adds, he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Jesus knew that he had come down from heaven to die on the cross for this was the work the Father had given him to do. To become the sacrificial lamb John the Baptist had identified him as at the very beginning of the gospel when John had said as he saw Jesus coming towards him, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus knew himself to be that Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. And John invites his readers to recollect that in his account of the crucifixion when he says that not a bone of Jesus' body was broken in verse 36, as well as telling us that Jesus is the Christ of Psalm 34, who, we, who will be delivered. John, by that reference, is associating Jesus in his death with the Passover lamb whose bones were not to be broken, the lamb who through death spared Israel in Egypt from death and who through that death finally liberated them from slavery. John did not make up that association just as he did not make up the observation about the blood and the water. It was Jesus who taught that it was in his death as a criminal upon the cross that he would become the source of life for all who believe, that by his death he would liberate those who trusted him from death. 
To Nicodemus in John 3, he had said, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life, for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. (coughs) Jesus taught that it was the Father's loving purpose that the Lord Jesus become the source of life to the perishing as he was raised up on the cross. All that needed, all that was needed, all that is needed is to believe, to look to him as God's provision and live. And then to the crowds hungry for more of the bread of this life who were focused on having more of this life. Jesus in John 6 had offered something better that the manners than the manna their fathers had eaten in the wilderness. Oh, their fathers had eaten that miraculous food and still died. But Jesus said, verse 51, I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus hanging there in pain, mocked, shamed, despised, knew that to die for sin on the cross, to drain the cup of God's righteous anger against sin in his death, was the work the Father had given him to bring life to all the Father had given to him, all who would look to him and believe. It is finished is a cry of completion and achievement, not despair, as Jesus uses the authority of the, fa- the Father has given him to lay down his life in obedience to the Father. Jesus knows and he teaches us with his last breath that he has fulfilled the Father's will. Jesus has trusted and loved the Father perfectly with all that he is and has. Jesus has testified to the truth to the end, to the faithfulness of the Lord to save his people as he has promised. And we still hear his cry, it is finished today. For Jesus' achievement on the cross affects us all, for it is a work for all by one who is related to all. It is a work for all, for we are all children of Adam. We have a common humanity We cannot escape that. And that means every one of us sins. And every one of us faces the just anger of God against our sin. And every one of us would be condemned by the just God to eternal death in the judgment. That is our problem, the problem of our race, which Jesus and Jesus alone on the cross addresses effectively. We sin. I don't know how you think of sin or even if you use that word. But we don't thank God for the life and gifts he has given us. We don't honour him by obeying his commands. A disobedience seen in our lying or sexual immorality or greed or selfishness or envy or slander or taking what belongs to others. We don't believe what God says and all that is sin. Uh, We have bought into the lie 
that lie that Adam believed, that life is found in disobeying God and that we know better than God what is best for us and that God won't keep his word. We believe that lie. And we cannot undo our sin, cannot escape the consequences of our sin. We can't make up for the wrong we have done and God needs nothing from us. We can't earn forgiveness, can offer nothing that is more valuable than our lives, lives which are forfeit already for our disobedience, for sin brings death. Jesus said that those who, are sin, those who sin are slaves to sin, unable to free themselves from its hold. All of us sin. All of us are condemned to death for our sin. And all of us are unable to free ourselves from sin and death. All that is left us is to look and live. Our only hope is what God does for us to rescue us from our slavery, to spare us from death. And what the living God has done for the world is to give his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sin, to be the sacrifice that turns away the anger of God's justice from us as the Son endures judgment, dying in our place. This is a work for all, by one who is related to all. Uh, did you notice how the story emphasised that Jesus dies as the King of the Jews? That is what is written on the placard nailed to his cross, what the Jewish leaders object to, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. The King of the Jews is the eternal son, the one to whom all the nations will be subjected, the one who will have an eternal and universal reign. All are subject to his authority. He is Lord of all. And all can find peace, peace with God, only as they are at peace with him, the king of the Jews. You can only find peace as you are at peace with with him. We must deal with Jesus. He is related to us all as our king. And Jesus also dies as the son of his mother. This verses 26 to 27 uh, speaks not only of his care, even in his pain for his mother, though that's wonderful. It reminds us that Jesus has a mother like us, that he is genuinely human, sharing our flesh and blood that the death he dies is a genuinely human death, the death you and I are due. He has, in the words of Hebrews, tasted death for everyone because he has died our common death. Dying for the sins of the world, dying a genuinely human death, dying as the king of the Jews, means Jesus' death has unlimited relevance for it has unlimited sufficiency. There is no one in the whole wide world across all ages whose sins cannot be atoned for, dealt with by Jesus' death. And his death has unlimited power to give life to all who look to him, for it is the death of the Son of God. And he, the humble and exalted king, now has unlimited authority to forgive. Jesus Christ, as the Lord teaches in his gospel, is not a cry of despair but of completion. 
Jesus' cry alone confronts those who want to think that this life is all there is. And if Jesus is right, his achievement on the cross is a threat to any who think that just by dying they can escape a reckoning for what they've done in this life. It's a, it's a threat uh, to anyone who wants to live now as if they can do whatever they want, whatever pleases them, without a worry that they will face the judgment of God. That possibility is finished if Jesus speaks the truth. Now that may be an uncomfortable thought for you if you want to ignore the living God or if you think you know better than him how life should be lived or if you have nursed anger and resentment in your heart against him like those who crucified Jesus. But that threat of accountability, that offence to our pride, that need to change our minds is such a small price (coughs) compared to the joy, hope, Love, this death makes possible for each of us if Jesus speaks the truth. Look and live, he says. Life doesn't depend on your goodness or your working up a feeling in yourself or anything you do. Life comes from trusting God's provision for you in his son on the cross. And what a provision forgiveness without the destruction of justice and with forgiveness the hope of life after death, life without condemnation, a different quality of life, life without death. And trusting Jesus means coming to know that the almighty God you had feared has loved you while you were still a sinner, while you were still despising him and going against him. It means coming to know the love that seeks you and gives the Son for you, the love that will be yours forever. Isn't that better than this life with all its grief and mess and pain that human sin has brought? Better than this life and then nothing. But is the gospel true? Is Jesus right? There's no doubt Jesus believed that there was more to life than this life, that he thought there was a God and life after death and he lived his life and gave up his life purposefully on the basis of that belief. But was he right? Should he be believed instead of those who deny life beyond this life, deny their own personal continuity, taking refuge in their philosophies or speculations about the eternity of matter in a self-creating universe. Who should be believed? That modern army of academics and scientists who have embraced an atheistic materialism, great names of philosophy, authors of best-selling books, popular across the airways. You know the names, Singer, Grayling, Dawkins, Hawkins, the list goes on. The successful, the wealthy, the rewarded and respected in our age, should they be believed or Jesus hanging on the cross? Who should be believed? Oh, we could say that it has been the human intuition across the ages that life does not end, is not extinguished at death. Whether people talk of the soul or Hades or karma or rebirth or even ghosts, there is the conviction of personal continuity beyond the grave. But that ancient and widespread intuition 
does not convict those who are convinced that they are wiser than all those who came before. Or we could look at Jesus' historical impact and observe that Jesus has had and will have a following and a capacity to change lives that none of those who deny life after death have or will have. But they could claim that that just speaks of the gullibility of people and their willingness to believe a comforting lie in place of a hard truth. But if Jesus rose from the dead bodily, alive again in the body in which he was killed as Christians have believed and proclaimed from the beginning, believed and proclaimed on the basis first of the evidence of their own senses, sight, touch, taste, hearing as the risen Jesus appeared to them and then believed on the basis of the testimony of those first eyewitnesses, then Jesus speaks the truth and he should believe, be believed and his understanding of death and life accepted. Jesus did rise. And we'll talk about that on Sunday, but if you doubt that, please read the Gospel accounts and get in touch. Jesus spoke the truth from the cross when he said, it is finished. The work the Father had given him is completed. There is forgiveness for those who ask the living Jesus for mercy. There is eternal life for everyone who believes he died for their sins on the cross and rose again. There is a love of God to be known and experienced by all who can confess Jesus on the cross is the Son of the Father doing his will. Sitting at home this morning, isolated, with the reality of your mortality that you must die, brought to the forefront of your mind by the steps taken to prevent the spread of this disease, by the daily count of dead and hospitalised here and around the world. Do you know that forgiveness, hope and love for yourself? You are never shut away from Jesus, outside the reach of his care, beyond his hearing. Talk to him. That's what we call praying, talking to Jesus. And ask him for what he promises, forgiveness and eternal life. He will hear you. And then let a Christian you know, know that you've done that. And if you are a believer, if when you hear Jesus say on the cross, it is finished, your heart is full of gratitude to your Saviour who endured such pain and shame, such grief and loneliness to bring you grace and truth, life and love. Well, if you are a believer, knowing that there is eternal life, knowing the Father's love and faithfulness, you should live like Jesus. That is what the apostles say when calling on slaves to endure suffering for doing what is right and good. The apostle Peter said, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. Jesus left us an example in his suffering. And Paul, at the climax of a passage that speaks of how our lives would be different from the lives we lived when we were ignorant of God and alienated from him, writes, And walk in love, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God.
Jesus' self-sacrifice is the model of the love we are called to. No matter what the cost, humiliation, abuse, suffering, loss, even death, no matter what the cost, we too are to do the will of our Father, which is to listen to Jesus and do what he says. And we do it because we know that he is faithful to his promises. Trusting him, we look not just to this life, but to the resurrection as he did. What might that life of love, that willingness to suffer for doing good, that determination to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Jesus, look like at this time? Well, you'll have to think about that in your circumstances, whether that's working from home or still going to the office, being with the family, with the children home from school or on your own, having a diminished income or still drawing a wage. You'll have to think about it. But that following Jesus will start with the daily small things that show you trust a great saviour, humbling yourself, dying to the pride that says life should be arranged the way you want it, humbling yourself and so not grumbling and complaining, but receiving your circumstances with thankfulness as the context which your loving Father has given you now to trust him in. Your loving Father has given to you so that you can grow like Christ in. Humbling yourself and learning thoughtfulness for those you live with, controlling your tongue even when tired and stressed, and loving in sharing resources, loving in respecting the measures the government has put in place to slow the infection, loving by taking thought to relieve the stress of isolation for single people, making that phone call or, or, making, or relieving stress for those whose homes are stressful, helping them with their shopping or whatever, and not giving up on these daily small obediences as the weeks become months. Maybe as time goes on we might be called for bigger things for greater generosity to those who are without work and without income, or greater courage and trust in accepting what this pandemic brings. But the bigger things will be the fruit of our obedience in the smaller things. But above all, believing Jesus when he says it is finished means living with hope, hope in the Saviour who accomplished his Father's work on the cross and rose living with that hope and communicating that hope by living knowing that there is more to life than this life and that those who trust Jesus by God's grace, that more is eternal life and a steadfast abiding love from which nothing in this life will ever separate us. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, uh, we know and would have, we, we, we pray that we would know and have full conviction that Jesus on the cross finished the work you gave him to do. To be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, takes away our sin. To be the bread of life 
who sustains us to eternal life through giving his flesh to die for us on the cross. We pray that we would know this and trusting you, we would be thankful, thankful for your love, your fatherly love that works all things for our good, thankful for our Saviour, and be moved to live lives like his life in this present, where we show our trust by doing your will, loving you and loving others. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.